Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh Lipstone, and this is Explain This Book to Me. Today is book five, episode one. I am joined today by the co-author of the book, Best Version Possible, and he is Brent Kelly. Brent is the president of Sitkins Group, Inc. He is a motivating influencer, coach, and speaker who has a passion for helping insurance agencies maximize their performance. He spent 15 years in the insurance industry as a successful commercial lines producer and was named one of the top 12 young agents in the country in 2012. Brent is also a certified leadership coach of the Maxwell team and shared the stage with John Maxwell in 2017. As the host of the popular Agent Leader podcast and a Rough Notes contributor, Brent's focus is to help insurance professionals gain influence, grow their book of business, and become their best version possible. Brent resides in central Illinois with his wife, Tracy, and five children. Welcome to the podcast, Brent. How are you today? I am great, Josh. Thanks for having me and thanks for the kind intro. Of course, of course. It was. Uh, do you ever listen to those things and think to yourself, wow, I have accomplished a lot in my life? Well, I honestly think a lot of it is like someone asked me to write that a long time and maybe I should update it or maybe I should simplify it because sometimes it just kind of rolls on because mm-hmm. – uh, but anyway, um, I am proud of things that I've accomplished, but hopefully um, – not hopefully, it will be. There's a lot more to come. So thank well, you. Good. All right. Well, good. Now, before we dive into the book, I'd like for the loyal readers to get to know you a little better. And so I have three questions for you. So question number one. All right. Do you prefer a book or an ebook? I don't want to be the cop-out guy not giving you a direct answer, but my answer is depends. I like okay. regular books. I have a lot of regular books. I love regular books. However, with my little Kindle e-reader, I love to read that at night before I go to bed because I can sit there in the dark with my little light backlight mm-hmm. and, and read. So, But I like a real book. Okay. I like a real book. Uh, yeah. I mean, certain situations call for certain things. Um, now, what is your favorite <laughs> book? Question number two. Probably the hardest question anybody could ask me because I love mm-hmm. books. Um, if I I had to pick one because I wanted to give you a real answer, yeah, I'd have to put at the top of my list the 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth by John Maxwell, who you mentioned earlier. Just always love that book. All right. Well, that's, that's a book I think that we may have to do together on another podcast in the future. We could. I've uh, actually, you know, part of uh, the John Maxwell team, which mm-hmm. I'm still affiliated with, but not as involved as much as I used to be with what I'm doing now. Yeah. But, um, I actually have done different studies and programs around that book with groups. So be okay. happy to discuss it with you, John. All right. Well, good. All right. Third and final question. Would you say it's nature or nurture that's made you the person you are today? I can't – this has to be a both. I, I don't know how you can just say mm-hmm. it's one or the other because I think they both are involved. I have DNA, wired DNA, God-given strengths and weaknesses that I would be happy to share with you at some point. Maybe they'll come out in this discussion. Um, but also, again, there's been a lot of your environment. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's a cop-out answer, but I just don't think it's fair or right to say it's one or the other. Um, probably what's – it. There's cert- here's what I'll say. I'll leave it at this. Mm-hmm. There are certain God-given – um, 
just wiring that we have. I think it's up to us to figure out what our strengths are in that wiring and mm-hmm. then maximize the heck out of it through nurture in our environment. So how's that for an answer? I like it. I like it. All right. Now, for those of you who are keeping score at home, we are recording this episode on Friday, February 4, 2022. Um, now, in today's episode, we will be covering the first four chapters of Best Version Possible, and we're going to have two additional episodes after this one. So let's go ahead and get started with explaining this book to me for the book Best Version Possible. So we're going to be starting chapter one, which is the seven figure hole you don't know you're in. And you begin this chapter with a quote by Henry Ford. Business must be run at a profit else it will die. But when anyone tries to run a business solely for profit, then also the business must die for it no longer has a reason for existence. Now, what about this quote stood out to you and Roger to begin your book with it? Maybe it's like the nature nurture thing at the beginning, Josh. Um, mm-hmm. here, here's the thing, because you know I think you'll see a lot of, of businesses and certainly working with agencies, even to a degree of like, hey, you know, it's all about the mission and our purpose, and man, we believe in that thing. But here's here's the here's a fact: if you ain't making a profit, you can't help anybody, right? Right. Exactly. You got no business. So you know, part of that is you, you got to make a profit, and so mm-hmm. I think sometimes we we lose sight of that: of how am I going to be profitable? In my business, which is not an evil thing, because being profitable allows you to the second part of the quote, which is to live out, right, that purpose that you want to have, your reason for existence. So I think just we wanted to start that the book off with that quote to say, listen, we're going to talk about profitability Mm -hmm. and that you have to be a profitable agency if you really want to do what you want to do. But if you don't know why you're doing what you're going to do, why are you doing it? So it's a little, you know, it's kind of kind of the both end. I like that. I like that. I mean, uh, you know, so often we... We look at a business and we think, oh, if we're making money, you know, we're not taking care of our clients because we're taking money away from them. Um, but that, that that's the exact opposite, because if you're not making a profit, you can't stay in business and you aren't here to help them. Just to add one more thing mm-hmm. to that. I heard years ago, Josh, mm-hmm. there was a, a book, another book. Here's a book recommendation called Thou Shall Prosper okay. by a rabbi, Daniel Lappin. I read that years ago. One of the things that always stood out to me in that book early on in my even just work career was that. You know, when you make money, those are called certificates of appreciation. Hmm. So understand that when you're getting paid more, more people appreciate the value you provide. So don't look at it as a, oh my gosh, I'm taking their money. It's look at the service and the products and the information, whatever it is that you're providing and, and have joy in that. I like that. So I like that. Now you start off the chapter by basically hitting the loyal reader in the face with the cold, hard facts of things. And you write that an agency owner leaves between a hundred to five hundred thousand in net profit on the table every year, which could translate into as much as six point five million dollars when they go to sell the agency. Um, now you lead us into the tale of two owners. Would you mind telling the loyal readers kind of the thirty thousand foot view about these two owners and the path that each chose to go down? Yeah, we just start with the compare contrast, and I think. Mm-hmm. You know, Joshua, the 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 thing on this is that like I think it's like a lot of things in life. Like, you know, you, you'll see just for an example, maybe you see an agency that, you know, has done really, really well. And you go, man, that would be really cool. I want to be like them. Um, right. Just as a as a model. Um, but what sometimes people forget is that there were years and months and weeks and days, right, within that, that they had a plan, mm-hmm. they had a path. They stay committed to that plan. They were consistent on that plan. They, they kept their clarity on where they wanted to go. 
Um, and so it's just walking that path. So the tale of two owners, if I had to really simplify this, mm-hmm. one was intentional and mm-hmm. proactive. The other was not intentional and reactive. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about this, it's just an understand. And by the way, you know, here's the great thing about independent insurance agencies. They're independent, mm-hmm. right? So, and, here, and, here, and here's, the, here's the negative thing about independent insurance agents. Uh, they're independent, right? <laughs> and I mean, you know that. It's yep. like, it's, you can create whatever model you want, right? To exactly. a degree or the design you want, which gives you a lot of freedom, but also gives you a lot of choices. Exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, the, 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 what we want to show at the beginning of this book is, hey, you got a couple choices. You can get really serious on where you want to go, why you want to go there, the key behaviors and strategies that you want to take and be accountable to it. And ultimately you'll get to an end and go, you know what? It wasn't perfect, but I don't have a lot of regrets. Yeah. Or you can say, gosh, I hope, I hope this all, I hope this thing all works out for my agency. And then you look back and go, gosh. And then of course the end result mm-hmm. is the amount of money left on the table because of that. So yeah. again, that's really where the story comes from is I want, and we wanted readers from the very beginning to go, okay, which choice do I want to make? And we're very clear on maybe this book isn't for you, but if yes. you do want to take a, a certain path, uh, keep reading. Yeah, you want to have you don't want to have regrets. You want to have regrets. So very uh, good, good yes, read. I know. Uh, so here's what stood out to me when I went through this chapter: um, the agencies are now commanding tw- twelve to thirteen times EBITDA, um, which is double what agencies were able to command 10, 12 years ago. And so what the first agency owner was able to sell their agency for in your example was $12 million because their agency had an annual revenue of 6 million, 20% profit, and then 10 times EBITDA. Um, And loyal readers, if you're asking yourself, well, why did they use 10 times rather than the 12 to 13? It's because it's the standard offer at the present time. Now, the second agency owner was able to sell their agency for $36 million because their annual revenue was 12 million, 12 million but they had a 30% profit. And then we use the 12, uh, 10 times EBITDA there. So um, very, very interesting stuff. Now, Brent, can you tell the loyal readers maybe about a real life agency where you were able to kind of see this happen? Maybe someone who's been with the Sitkins group for a while and because of working with you guys at what they were able to accomplish when they did sell. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, this is co-authored myself and mm-hmm. Roger Sitkins. Now, yeah. I've been uh, with Sitkins for, it's, it's coming up on five years, right? It's four and a half years mm-hmm. as we're recording this. Um, so I don't have any 20-year stories. I'm not going to just, you know, I certainly want to be very honest mm-hmm. and transparent. But but uh, as a group, and Roger's got many, um, and he shares some in the book that maybe you'll get into or different yep. things. Um, I will tell you, though, just even a short amount of time. Um, there's been several agencies and maybe they haven't sold yet, right? They haven't had right. the final fruit. That's what, and by the way, um, not every agency wants to sell, right? You want to perpetuate internally sometimes. You want to perpetuate externally. You may. The, the point of it is, is that it gives you options. Um, right. And I've got, just in thinking of this, a couple agencies that stand out to me. There's a, um, you know, I would call a, a younger agency, about 20 years old on the East Coast who worked with um, for, you know, come about four years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Two hardworking owners work their tail off um, and, and have had some success, but they what they needed more of was a little more structure, a little more of a roadmap. And you know what typically happens, Josh, is that you know you start off a lot of, especially you know if, if you're out there going, hey, I'm going to start an agency, or you've got a newer agency that you're working, you know, you're, you're trying, working on to grow. You start off selling insurance and you end up running an agency, right? 
And um, right, there's a difference there. So when you run an agency, you become a leader, right? There's right. a lot more responsibilities. And so you have to get out of your own way. Um, I think a big thing that will be help, and I, you know, I, I certainly try to help agencies, is to get out of their own way and see the big picture. Um, this agency that I mentioned, these two young owners, um, you know, created more of a plan, got more structure, got a process, and they are. And again, I can't give away any details, but right. they are in the process. Uh, they decided to go ahead and hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna sell, um, and they're gonna do really really well. <laughs> and a big part of that is the fact that they've worked their tail off anyway. They were going to do you know, pretty darn good without you know, mm -hmm. us at Sitkins. But because they've got more structure, because they had the people line, because they're now more profitable, they're worth a lot more money, yeah. um, a lot more opportunity in the marketplace. And then there's some other agencies too. It's just getting, it's getting a grasp around some of the basics. Mm -hmm. And now when you start to increase organic growth, you know, the average organic growth rate out there is you know, still around 6%. Um, right. again, some higher, some lower, but when you get organic growth rate to 15, 16, 17, right now it gets harder as the, the numbers get bigger. Right. Um, and you've got some operating profit, you got people in structure, guess what? Um, whether you're going to perpetuate internally or externally, mm -hmm. um, a lot more opportunities for yeah. you. So there, there's a number of those stories in the book. Yes. Um, and by the way, in, in some of those, we, we, we protect the names. Um, right. We did that intentionally. Um, we'd like to, sh to share. We just said, let's just keep them all anonymous. But all the stories are 100% real. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about one of those stories uh, now in just okay. a moment. So um, one other item to mention that you write about is not only did that first agency owner lose out on $24 million, First agency owner sold at 12, second one, 36 million. But they also last out on yep. time with their family. They have long days at the office. They're dealing with an unpleasant culture, general exhaustion at the end of the day. Whereas the second agency owner, exact opposite, able to spend more time with family. They have a great culture, which saw their, saw their team align in direction and clarity. And clarity is a big thing that you guys talk about in this book. Um, we'll get to that in a couple chapters. Yep. And we all want to be that second agency owner. And here's a story. Um, so you write about an interaction that you and Roger had with, with a gentleman named David. And I put David in air quotes because I think you guys do too. <laughs> right. Right, right. Um, David was part uh, owner of an agency. He had a book of business, generated around 400000 in commission, which I feel like is a lot of smaller agencies, entire agency commission. Um, so Roger looked at him and told him, you know what, when I look at you, I see a million dollar producer. And that's what David needed. Mm -hmm. David then had a click moment. And after talking with Roger for a few minutes, he asked him, what would David do for his service team once he became a million dollar producer? And he answered them by saying, I'm going to go buy them all Rolexes. Now, when I first read that, I don't know what happened in my mind, but I have to confess, I thought you said Rolodexes. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, yeah. why, why are you telling them to go buy Rolodexes? <laughs> and then I went back and wrote it, read it again. And so it was Rolexes. Um, so continuing on in David's story, you conclude it by telling us that David's agency sold for 30 million. He currently produces over 3 million in commissions. And most importantly, what I want the loyal readers to hear, and this is an exact quote from the book. It can be found on page seven. David didn't just earn for himself. He gave to the people who helped him get there. Now, that is a powerful statement, and that is how David reached his best version possible. And with that, we're going to move on to chapter two. So chapter two is avoiding the seven deadly agency traps. And we're going to do a brief overview of each of them, but we're going to go in depth with just a few of them that I believe loyal readers would want some further clarification on. 
All right, so deadly trap number one, no strategic plan or financial model. So you're using a cloudy vision or mission statement. You have confusing tactics with strategies, guessing at your numbers, KPIs, maintaining a low operating profit and not realizing your agency's full value. Deadly trap number two is no unique sales approach. So you have a commodity-based selling, no points of differentiation, dripping pipelines, low referral rates, low organic growth. And now I wanna spend a little bit of time on this, get maybe your help or opinion, because this may be something that we will tackle in chapter nine when you explain how you come up with the points of differentiation, but I need some help before we get there. So how are insurance agents supposed to stand out when we are being taught the same things on how to stand out and come up with our own unique sales approach, our own USA? All right, well, I'll share a few ideas. Okay. And we do go deeper in this in, in chapter nine, but mm -hmm. um, I want to start off just by, by briefly sharing a conversation I had with an agency owner, actually mm -hmm. kind of out in your area. Um, okay, I'm trying to think. Maybe it was an, maybe it was an event that we were together. I, I I'm trying to remember, but I was okay. talking to a very successful agency owner, mm -hmm. and I said, "What is you know?" I just I ask a lot of questions. I mean, I obviously wrote the book, but you learn by asking questions and listening. Right. And I just said, "Hey, what's been you, know, you you've done really really well." And he goes, well, you know, we're, you know, we're doing it always humble. And, and I said, but what's been the, 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 the number one thing that you've done to really grow your agency and to stand out, right? And he asked the question and he said, well, Brent, he goes, I don't know if you've noticed, but most agencies kind of all do and talk and, and walk the same walk. He goes, I just do the opposite. And um, I said, hmm. well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, think about it. And, and this has kind of come up when I've asked, I've done, you know, as you know, many keynotes oh, yeah. and workshops and different stuff. And, and I would go to, you know, rooms of agents mm -hmm. and just say, hey, what makes you unique? What makes you different? Mm -hmm. And it's a really, it's a hard question, right? Well, and typically what we hear is good service, great people, competitive rates, independent, you know, all the markets, mm -hmm. um, you know, local. Family and owned. They all kind of said the same thing. And I go, well, well, I don't understand. These are our points of differentiation and they're all kind of the same. So how are we differentiating? I go, because you're not deep enough. You haven't explored mm -hmm. what really, why it matters. What people forget about points of differentiation, we will go this deeper in this, mm -hmm. is that it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what your buyer thinks and wants. Mm. That's what matters. So like for me is if, you know, just we'll use one generic example. You know, what makes your, well, we've got really top-notch service. I mean, we have high level service. By the way, I've never seen other agencies go, our service is pretty bad, right? <laughs> right. No one's going to say that, okay? Number one. But so if it's service, well, what specifically is it? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you do? Is there something unique? And by the way, sometimes being unique is just doing a little bit more because most agencies don't do much, right? Right. But it could be specifically, you're specialized in an industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, you actually are doing industry-specific risk reviews and discussions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there could be things on models, whether it's work comp, right? Or you, you focus around cyber, um, or maybe you've got a high net worth client in private, pri or in, in, in you know, the private client space. There's right. a lot of things that you could do. Um, the point of it is this, is that if you're doing one of the generic things, mm -hmm. you're right. It isn't compelling. It isn't unique. Um, and I will tell you, agencies go deeper in this and go, what is it that we can own, hmm. right? And what can be our approach of how we have a conversation? You know, what if I just went to someone in an initial conversation versus saying, thank you for the time. We look forward to the opportunity to quote your business. We right. would say something like, you know, Josh, with a pleasure to get to know you and your company today. The purpose of our meeting is so I can better understand how you and your company manage risk. 
Mm -hmm. right? I want to share with you about our unique sales approach called the Sitkins risk plan, right? I don't know. I'm just making that up. Yep. And then we'll determine if there's a fit. And within my risk plan and my questions, I've got two or three things that are very nuanced that most other people aren't asking, right? And there's a lot more, compl we'll, we'll go deeper in this later, yeah. but that's, okay. that's my initial answer to that question. I like that. I like that. Well, Loyal Reeves, I hope you got a lot out of that and uh, looking forward to chapter nine, where we dive deeper into that. And that will be in our third and final episode. All right, now moving on to the next deadly trap, number three, part-time producers. And that is not enough time spent selling, um, TSS. Uh, acronyms are going to be a big part of this book. So, <laughs> so start learning those. Um, producer plateaus as well. Uh, deadly trap number four, part-time clients. So this is low revenue per relationship, lower retention, transaction versus relationships and profitable accounts subsidizing unprofitable accounts. Um, now for me personally, this is kind of a soapbox issue for me. So would you mind if I kind of get on this for just a moment? Absolutely. All right. So to me, when we all decided to become independent insurance agencies, we generally did it with the mindset of, I'm going to help my clients to the best of my ability by offering a wide range of products and services to best meet their needs. Instead, what many of us do is essentially act like our competitors and offer only one policy to the client because that is what they asked for. And to me, this is doing a disservice, not just to the client by not offering more, but a disservice to the agency because it drives down revenue, decreases that retention, making it more of a transaction than a relationship. You end up spending more time with the unprofitable accounts that hurts the profitable accounts. And sometimes I look at it as we are the parent our clients are the children. Children sometimes do not know what is best. Parents generally know what's best. So we need to guide them. And so the idea of continuing to just write a policy for someone, it's hurting them. It's hurting us. Stop doing it. Um, now, to me, do you feel that this deadly trap is maybe one of the largest traps that agents find themselves in, but it can also be one of the easiest traps to get out of? I, I think you said that well. Yeah, I mean, my answer is yes. I mean, mm -hmm. there's always variables to that. Um, but I, I think, I mean, if you look at just, we talk about part-time clients, mm -hmm. um, what you said is correct. And I think, you know, and this probably gets in later in the book, but, you know, are you are you a quoter? Are you a transaction person? Or are you a true risk advisor and a relationship developer? Right. Well, if you're really going to be a risk advisor and a relationship developer, you're right. Like, we we should be able to advise in a way that the client understands why it's important that they become a full-time client and not a part-time client. And if you're trying to get part-time clients, well, you have to ask yourself why. And also, are they really profitable? Because it goes back to the very first question you ask, right? If I'm not profitable, I can't do more of the things that I want to do. Right. So yeah, I think it is. And, and, and you're right. It's one of those things where if you just look at your book of business, mm -hmm. you can quickly identify where there's some of those gaps and the traps that you have. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You 
provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him, I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed, let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia, we saw his operation, and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at Virtual Intel, that's with two L's, that's Virtual, I-N-T-E-L-L.com. Go check us out, see what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology, delivered right into your agency, and you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just, there's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right, Virtual Intel, cast certified. All right, let's move on to deadly trap number five, no culture of accountability. So discussions without execution, there's no agency's way of doing this, meaning there is not a set standard for everyone to follow um, and not a mentality of it's my way or the highway. Poor culture, low investment in talent development. Deadly trap number six is ignoring the power of the 80-20 rule, which I know is something you talk a lot about. Um, so that's over-servicing the bottom 80% of clients while under-serving the top 20%. Uh, profitable accounts subsidizing unprofitable accounts, which gets back to deadly trap number four. Too many carriers with low premium per carrier. And loyal readers, clients do not care how many plaques you have on the walls of your office. Uh, we have replicating the wrong relationships, low contingency income. And then the final deadly trap number seven is underutilization of talent and technology. So using less than 50% of the agency management system, low levels of learning, low revenue per employee. Uh, and with that, we conclude chapter two. Now, Brent, is there anything you want to tell the loyal readers about this chapter? Maybe the trap that you see most agencies start to tackle first um, so they can kind of get an idea of where to begin. Well, first, I would tell the reader that there's a lot of stuff here, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of traps. And you, you, I don't care how good your agency is. You're going to go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. So don't don't get overwhelmed by that. It's just a matter. It's kind of a, kind of a litmus test. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh. You know, I think the biggest thing on this is where would you start? Right. Um, and what stands out to me, and this is just, you know, from the experience I've had in the last many years in working with a lot of agencies, um, it really comes back, you know, deadly trap number three, which mm -hmm. is part-time producers, is so easily overlooked because it's like, oh, well, what is that? You just, I got to have my producers produce more. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, are you a sales organization mm -hmm. that has exceptional service or do you, are you a service agency that might sell when it's convenient? Right. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Um, and so, so often I, that trap is huge and we've seen agencies. I mean, I've got numbers to back this up that if they just understood whether it's one producer or a team of 30, right. Depending on the mm -hmm. size of the agency, that if I just could get 25% more in the game, like, you know, it's hard to score points when you're on the bench. Right. If I could just get myself in the game, I will increase my revenue. Mm -hmm. Simplistic. Yes. But important, absolutely. Um, yes. And then the last the one you mentioned, that last one, the the eighty twenty principle. We use that for mm -hmm. everything. Right. Most people know eighty twenty. Mm -hmm. I would say ninety. You know, people listening. Most people are. Oh, I know eighty twenty. Mm -hmm. I would ask you, how are you really applying it and using it? Right. Because it is so powerful. And agencies have too many things to do. It's not about doing more. 
It's about understanding the power of 80-20 and do the right things and do them better. Exactly. So that's my synopsis. Well, thank you for that. All right. So moving on to chapter three, chapter three is see your way out with clarity. Um, and you begin this chapter by talking about a road trip to Chicago. Now, loyal readers, I have to digress slightly and tell a story that sort of ties into this, but it's mainly how I first learned about Brent and what I think about each time I hear about a road trip as it relates to business. So loyal readers, you may know this um, or you may not. Agency intelligence did not start out with the name agency intelligence. It was originally called the Grow Program and started by our very own Jason Cass and Ryan Hanley. Um, we actually talked about this in book one, Customer Services Just Foreplay, that Jason Cass wrote. When it first started, it was heavily focused on digital marketing and they had experts for each platform. Jason was the Facebook guy. Ryan was the Google Plus guy when Google Plus existed. Um, there are other guys for email marketing, LinkedIn, and Brent was the blogging expert guru. Um, and that's where I first met him. Um, and Brent, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there would be a monthly call done by each of the experts. And I was on every single call. I wanted to learn as much as possible. Yeah. And there were a few times it was yeah. just you and I on that call. And so I really appreciate the yeah. fact that you were willing to take the time to educate me, just talk to me about business or life when it was just the two of us. You didn't have to do that. So for that, I want to say thank you. Um, so that was a complete tangent. Um, and now on a slightly more related tangent. Um, so a couple of years after the Grow program was changed to agency intelligence, Jason brought on a guy, Joey Gingola, many loyal readers, listeners know Joey, um, as part of the team or leadership. And Joey was tasked with coming up with the next course of action. And he decided to come up with a roadmap of how someone could get from New York to California. And he used that roadmap to provide a step-by-step -step process for building an agent's or agency's digital marketing plan. And so when I read that first paragraph of this chapter, that is what came to mind, all those things. Um, so again, on our little bit of a tangent, do you have any, any fond memories of the beginning of the bro, grow program that you'd like to share? Oh, I mean, yeah, I have tons. I'll try to keep it brief. Okay. But, um, absolutely. And I, I mean, I remember a lot of those things. And um, in fact, it was funny. We were going through, um, you know, like I'm trying to clean up photos and videos and mm -hmm. stuff. And I mean, they're from all over, right? And they collect in different places. And I I found these videos of myself sitting by my fireplace trying to record this thing. And I forgot what it was even for, you know, some intro or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, in one aspect, it's really cool because thinking back about those times, I mean, first of all, I had a lot less gray hair. Um, and I, I guess it was much younger. Time goes by quickly. Mm -hmm. But just to think about, again, all the names that you mentioned and Jason and Ryan and thinking about yourself participating, I can think of a lot of people yeah. um, and form some really, really good friendships. There'll be lifelong friendships um, with these people. But what's fun is like, you know, obviously, I think I would I would hope and I'm sure like Jason and Ryan, we didn't have it all figured out by any means. But man, we were committed to trying to make a difference, Definitely. like and trying to do something that mattered and what we learned and like and it was it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And I can tell you personally, I got a ton of growth out of that. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things you know, I talk about the book that I love, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. Mm -hmm. um, one of the challenges of growth is that you don't always see it right away. Like, and so there are things that I did back in those days of blogging and writing and conversations with you, right? Mm -hmm. And what you and just, I mean, all those kind of things that, oh, okay, well, I had a call. But it's just, it goes into like understanding what I really desire is growth and improvement. And I never, you know, continual never ending growth. 
And just to think back of the grow program, that's what it was all about. Like that's mm -hmm. where it started. And to see what how everyone's kind of evolved and will continue to grow, it's fascinating and it it's is. exciting and it's cool. So I, I got a lot more I could share on it because oh, yeah. I have really great memories of that, um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, good. Well, now we'll get back to the chapter. So you write that the first stage of gaining clarity is getting clear on where you are today. And you write about not just understanding revenue, but culture, accountability, retention, and attracting your ideal client. So at the Sickens Group, you developed the agency trap indicator for agency owners to give an accurate assessment of where they stand. So I took the assessment and frankly, I did not score well on it. I scored a generous 37 and it was mainly carried by the fact that we have less than 2% of part-time clients in our agency. So I gave myself a 10 for that. So that was, you know, 25% of it. Um, so you write that when every one of our clients saw their most significant success was when they accepted this reality. They were only semi-successful and they could do better. Now you go on to write that once this reality is accepted, the question to ask is, how did I get here? Which relates back to chapter two um, and seeing which of the seven deadly traps you are a victim of. Um, you then go on to coin a phrase that I love called hopium, which at first I thought would be a great name for an IPA. So if anyone out there brews your own beer, I think hopium for an IPA name, it, it would be good. Um, but alas, uh, this is where an agency owner who took 30 years to get to 3 million in revenue wants to get to 9 million in revenue in the next five years. And we'll get back to that in just a moment, because then you bring in um, Pastor Anley Stanley, um, who has a church in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And you write about Andy Stanley and what you state may be one of the best questions you've ever heard, because it relates to both business and life. So does your current direction match your desired destination? And then you follow up with a statement from, from him, which says your direction not your intention determines your destination. So you have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Um, now there is one more item I wanna bring up in this chapter um, and ask you a question that has been on my mind once we finish the book. Um, so getting back to the agency owner who wants to go from 3 million to 5 million in five years, five years. So you write about direction and destination as it relates. So if this agency wants to go from three to 5 million, but their current path would only take them to 3.8 million in that five year period, there is a $1.2 million gap. And loyal readers, this is where your next acronym, we get to learn from the Sitkins group. GAP stands for goals and plans for goal, growth and profit. Goals and plans for growth and profit. Um, so by closing the gap, you've reached your BVP. Um, now on to my question to finish up this chapter uh, three. So how much of what you and Roger do is more about being a therapist or psychologist for your students, or I'm not sure exactly what you call um, people who engage with you, maybe mm -hmm. clients, um, but can you talk about that aspect of what it's like for you and Roger um, do you feel that you're more a therapist or psychologist than you thought you ever would be? Uh, so, yeah, sometimes it probably feels like that. Um, mm -hmm. To you know, to be very transparent, I think you know one of the things, and and, and you know, Roger goes way back as as far as some of his early days in working with clients. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and, and members of different programs. You know, he'd have the big coach hat on and the whistle. I mean, he always saw, saw himself as a coach. Um, and I did too. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, talk about blogging. I had a blog mm. called The Insurance Coach. So the mm. idea of being a coach, because I come from a sports background, has always been really impactful to me and important because I think some of the best people that I've learned from have been true coaches. And what coaches do is they sometimes tell you the things that you don't want to hear, mm -hmm. but they also give you some motivation and some inspiration and a kick in the butt when you need it to help you get to where you really want to go and help you kind of plan that out. You know, like I, I could think back in athletics where it's like someone comes to you and goes, Brett, do you really think you're, you're given everything, mm. you know, on this? Oh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, coach. Well, here's the deal. Um, you could be, you know, you could be a first team all conference or whatever. There is mm -hmm. no doubt you have the ability to do it. The problem is, is you're not doing the right things to get there. Do you want to help? Right. You want me to help you get there? Yeah, coach, I do. All right. Well, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to have you do certain things. And when you don't do it, I'm going to call you out. Are you okay with that? Yes. So like, and it, right. by the way, there are some days you're like looking at the coach going, yep. right. It just would be easier not to do it. Um, so as far as being a therapist, yeah, sometimes we just sit and listen, but I think going back to what you shared, uh, and this is really critical, uh, it's critical in my life. I mean, I, I, is that you first need awareness. Okay. Y you've got to have a level of awareness of, Hey, is what I'm doing? Like, is, am I on the right path here? And sometimes you don't even know it until you talk to other people, whether it's peers or coaches. Um, you know, one of the, the things I love about our programs mm -hmm. and just for example, our, like our producer camp. We'll have people that come to the producer camp and they have a certain level of awareness, their view of the world, all they know, right? And that's fine. And all of a sudden they'll be in a peer round table with another producer who basically is kind of like them, mm -hmm. only they've done some things or seen some things differently. And they go, why am I not doing that? Right. I don't know. You have the capability. You just have the awareness. Now you have the awareness. Do you want to plan? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and then all of a sudden they go back and they go, you know what? Some of that stuff wasn't easy, but thank you. So I, I don't know if I'm getting a little bit off your question. No, no. Um, but it's a huge aspect of what we do. Um, there's a reason why I say they motivate an influencer. Like I always say a couple of things I want to do is I want to help turn the light bulb on for some people. And mm -hmm. that sounds, and that's not to be like negative that the light bulb's off, but it's just, or maybe turn it brighter yeah. to see more in them than maybe they see in themselves because we all have head trash. I have people that have to get me out of my head trash. Well, I'm just going to do this. Well, why? What do you really want to do? Well, I want to do that, but I don't know if I can. Mm. And we have the uh, we have an evil doctor. Maybe it's later in the book. I don't remember honestly. Doctor Doctor Gabbett. Yeah, but yeah, but mm. yeah, but. So part of I think of a I don't want to call myself a therapist, but a coach's job is to help people see more, mm -hmm. and then they sometimes see themselves, you know, from their own level, their own viewpoint. Yeah, when you uh, um, this is a little off topic, but um, yesterday my uh, my niece and nephew they're in taekwondo, and they missed uh, their belt um, test to to go into their next belt because we were out of town last weekend. So they were kind enough um, at the taekwondo place to let them come in yesterday, and we get there and the instructor um, who is going to administer the test. Um, I'm told is the toughest one there. And so we're all a little bit nervous and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, I hope that, you know, cause they're eight and 10 years old. Um, I hope, I hope that they pass. I hope they pass even though he's really hard. And I thought to myself, looking back on my personal life, I was always worried 
you know, oh, wow, this is the hardest teacher. Am I going to pass? Or this coach is really tough. Do I really want to play on yeah. his team? And kind of having a regret that I had wanted to either avoid it or I did avoid that. Um, so loyal readers, um, I would encourage you to not shy away from those things. And if there are any younger loyal readers listening to this, um, if you are in that place, um, go ahead, take on that challenge. So that was a your, your, your coach analogy kind of brought that to mind. Um, all right, so moving on to chapter four, this will be the final chapter of today's episode. Um, chapter four is titled Your Best Version Possible, which sounds an awful lot like the title of the book. Um, now you begin this yeah. chapter with a quote from Chris Assad. Did I say that na name correctly? I'm not, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, oh. I, I, yeah. Okay. He's a, he's a Canadian songwriter. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, and that quote is this. Close your eyes and imagine the best version of you possible. That's who you really are. Now let go. Now let go of any part of you that doesn't believe it. Um, so this concept of the best version possible was something that you actually came up with, Brent, when you and Roger were together in Atlanta, and you asked him the question. You said, "What if one of the leaders comes up tomorrow and asks, what's the best version possible of my agency?'" And so this kind of got Roger's brain going. Um, at 3 a.m., he wakes up and he Google's best version possible. And that's when he finds this, this quote. And to me, this becomes the genesis for this concept and this book. Um, now, you write that Roger came up with in the meeting the next day a grid to represent this. Would you mind telling the loyal readers about this grid and the four different versions of the best version possible? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, just... It's funny. The first on this is that when Raj and I obviously we co-author the book and then mm -hmm. we do a lot of our trainings and teachings together. Um, and it's funny because I will maybe ask a question or spur a thought mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he'll take something that was just an innocent question into a model. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like, well, where did that come from? Well, that came from your question you asked. That was a great question. Um, so there's a lot of power in that. The, the grid itself on best version possible it's not overly complicated. It's not designed to be. Mm -hmm. It's really just designed to get you to think um, on where you're at. And I think that the term, the best version possible, why it became the title of the book mm -hmm. um, is because all of a sudden we just got, we didn't know the title of the book, by the way, when we started writing it. We, 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 we weren't <laughs> sure. And all of a sudden we're like, gosh, everything is coming back to this BVP, best version possible. Mm -hmm. And so with Roger, the, the grid he created was basically this. There was version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and 4.0. And I don't need to, you know, I don't want to, you know, they can read the book to get kind of the specifics yep. around it, but it's pretty basic. Version 1.0 is basically I'm just showing up and that's about it at best. And that's the area where you have a ton of regrets. Mm -hmm. And you just look back and go, gosh, why am I not doing some of the things that I should be doing? And as you move up the grid, and we kind of go through each one, version 2.0 is where you still have some regrets, but you're starting to make some of the actions. Version 3.0 is you're kind of moving into where things are getting pretty good. And this yep. is where most agencies and professionals stop, right? Mm -hmm. And for good reason, because the business is a great business. Right. And we talk about being semi-successful. You can make a lot of money in the average to good trap. Mm -hmm. Or in that good area of the BVP grid. You can. I mean, you, yep. you really can. But what I think has been really helpful is when we ask agencies and ask professionals, I ask myself, I had this in the morning, like, is this my best version? Mm -hmm. It is a really challenging question because I'm not worried about what Josh did or Roger did or Joey or Jimmy or whatever, right? I don't right. care. Mm -hmm. I know me. Am I living up to everything I should be doing? I'm just going to share one quote around the BVP. And I heard this several years ago, rocked my world. It was the definition of hell on earth. I don't know if you've heard this before, Josh. Uh, have you ever heard that quote? No. Mm -mm. 
Okay. The definition of hell on earth, because someone was telling, I was listening to something. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God. No, this is new. The definition of hell on earth is you get to the last day of your life on this earth. Mm-hmm. The last day of life on this earth, whether you're 60, 80, 100, I don't know. Hopefully we live a long time. Yeah. But your last day of life on this earth, and you come face to face with the person that you could have become. That sends and chills up. Your that spine. is the premise. That is the premise of BVP. Mm. And none of us are going to be perfect. Okay. So don't, I mean, it's like, well, how do I get? Well, you're never going to get there. But the point of it, do you have that, like, the quest of, I know there's more in me and yeah. I deserve to do it for myself and for those around me. So mm. I don't know if I answered your grid question, but version yeah, 4.0 is, I'm going to my best version possible. Yeah. No, Absolutely. no, definitely did. Um, so you write about how you define the BVP agency and you have six questions um, that you ask your clients. Yep. Um, so question one is, what if everyone in your agency did 80% of what they said they were going to do 80% of the time? Um, question two ramps it up. Uh, what if they did 100% of what they said they were going to do 100% of the time? Three, what would that mean? Four, how would it feel going to work each day with a happy, productive team? Five, who are exactly the right clients to target that your agency can best serve? And then six, how would it feel to have processes in place that make everything simpler? So the answers to these questions are what shapes your BVP agency. Uh, You then write about that the greatest challenge, the greatest enemy most of us will ever face is the person we look at in the mirror every day. And understanding this sets the foundation for everything else we talk about because it changes your context. Um, And I think that we just went over that. Uh, You then go into the agency transformation um, scorecard. for that, um, loyal readers, it's a it's a large scorecard. So we're going to have you take a look at that within the book. Um, but Brent, are there any things that are on that scorecard that are kind of common things that a loyal reader can kind of say, you know what, other people struggle with this. It's okay that I struggle with it. Um, are there any specific ones that you would mention? Yeah, well, I, I would say this. Uh, the scorecard's based on... Just questions. And you went through the questions you ask yourself. I mean, you know, I would say uh, even an average question is better than a great answer sometimes because it gets you to think, mm-hmm. right? Like, huh, where, where am I really at on this? Um, so the scorecard, it is. It's it's pretty in-depth. It mm-hmm. This goes into like outside of saying your best version possible, like, well, put that tangibly. What would that look like? And, and we just kind of went through, here's all the things that if you were doing at tens, yep. which none of you will, right? I mean, it's and, and, and it's okay if you get a low score, like... Yeah, it's impossible. Like you're not going to, but it just gets you like, hey, where, where, where would that look like? Um, there are, again, there's so many things here. I'm not going to go through all of them. They can see it in the book. Um, but the one that, you know, kind of hits me that it jumps out in many cases is, um, you know, we talk about too that in this business, on average, 90% of your clients renew with you, whether you do much or not. Right. What a great business. What, about it? what a great it's business. It's amazing. Like, how great is that? Yeah. Isn't that credible? Like, oh my gosh. Like, now, is that your BVP? Of course not. But here's the thing that the litmus test on this. Typically, with most agencies, way less than 10% of those 90% actually refer mm-hmm. actively and active refer another piece of business to you or your agency. So that's typically, I mean, again, if I'm just looking through this briefly and there's so many things in here, that's one that jumps out. And you go, wait a second, if we're only getting 7% of our clients to refer us or we're not being diligent or proactive, why? Yeah. Do we not believe in what we do? Mm. Are we not doing a high enough level job? So that's usually one of those things that typically jumps out yeah. when people go through the scorecard, kind of as an aha moment. 
Yeah, I, I, there is a uh, a couple um, podcast episodes that Jason Cass has done with, I believe the guy's name is Chuck Blondino that works um, at Safeco Insurance, where he goes um, in depth about what average agencies receive as referrals, because a lot of agencies say, oh, yeah, our number one source of new businesses is referrals. And then when you kind of get into right. it, it's it's really not. So, um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that de- definitely one. Um, now, with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. So thank you, Brent, for joining me for book five, episode one of Best Version Possible. Brent, can you tell the loyal readers how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, the best place uh, to connect with me is just go to our, our main website at sitkins.com. So S-I-T-K-I-N-S.com. You can email me at brent at sitkins.com if you want to reach out to me that way. Uh, I have a great team around me, and you can take a look at the book. We also created this movie around best version possible. Yes. Um, they can check that out, too. So if you go to sitkins.com, I think it's slash VIP, but there's stuff on the website. Uh, you can take a look at it um, from a, a video perspective as well. Yeah, I just watched it again this morning in preparation for this. So we'll make sure we link that in the show notes for uh, for you loyal readers. Um, so loyal readers, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Agency Intelligence Podcast Network. And if you have 60 seconds to spare today, would you please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast? podcast platform because when you do that others just like yourself will find us and we'll be able to impact more people because of you if you haven't already purchased brent books then please check out the show notes where there's a link to purchase it on amazon as a reminder we are on instagram at explain this book to me and we'd love it if you can follow us there because we want to connect with you outside of the podcast if you have a question or a thought you'd like to share with me please email me at josh at agency intelligence.com And loyal readers, thank you again for downloading the first episode of our fifth book of the Explain This Book to Me podcast, where I sit down with authors, thought leaders, and visionaries to explain the book to you and have them answer the questions that I have. Remember to be safe, be healthy, and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book to Me.